Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much as always for being here. As I've told you, we're going to be doing podcasts in the immediate aftermath of Champions League games this season. And as we played on Tuesday night, last night, Friday is just too long to wait to talk about the game. So we are going to get into the nuts and bolts of our two undefeat to lawn last night. The the goals, the incidents, the injury to Bakayo Saka and where that might leave him uh, in terms of Sunday's game against Manchester City, where it leaves us in the group and all the rest. There's also plenty to talk about from what was a very interesting night of Champions League football across Europe. So we'll touch on some of those games. The PGMOL have released the audio of that incident in the Spurs-Liverpool game. So we'll take a listen to that and have a chat about it too. And with me to do all that is Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hello, Andrew. How are we doing? We're all right. Coming to terms with our first defeat of the season last night in the Champions League, 2-1 to Lon. And plenty to unpack from this game in terms of performances, some individual incidents and, and all the rest. But let's start with team selection. I thought Mikel Arteta was going to pick a strong side for this one. I think he did pick a strong side. There wasn't um, a great deal of rotation. Ta- uh, Takahiro Tamiyasu coming in for Ben White and Leandro Trossard coming in on the left-hand side, which meant that Gabriel Jesus went um, central in the striking role. Beyond that, nothing. And I suppose the big uh, decision that we were waiting on was whether or not Bakayo Saka would start. From what we heard pre-game in terms of his availabil- uh, availability and training and all the rest, that seemed like a shoe-in to me. So we'll get to, you know, subsequently what happened with Bakayo Saka. But any thoughts on the team itself? No, I thought it was um, pretty much what I was expecting. Maybe one or two changes here and there. I think bringing Ben White out of the team was probably wise. Um, you know, I think he's played a lot this season and there have been a couple of times where he's looked tired. You know, that we've played some intense games. So I had no issue there. Um, and it was nice to see Trossard back in the team as well because I, I I do think he can give us something in terms of end product, um, whether that's goals or assists. Maybe a few doubts about his ability to play out wide still um, and, and, you know, the, the inability, I will say, to maybe replicate what we get from some other options. Um, Can we go there, though? Brings- if you don't mind, like, as soon as you brought it up, yeah, let, yeah. Let, let's go yeah, there yeah, because, absolutely. you know, I was happy to see him back and he's obviously um, made a lot of goals and scored a few goals for us since his arrival from Brighton. But I'm, I'm sort of... I think this is an interesting uh, uh, avenue to explore because Martinelli give, is very direct. He's very quick. Mm-hmm. He can burn defenders on both sides. Trossard isn't necessarily that. He's somebody who I think likes to get into central areas a bit more, those inside, left, inside, right channels where I think he is most effective. So in a game like last night, how how much differently do Arsenal have to tailor their game plan, you know, particularly um, you know, against a side who are maybe going to come forward and give you a bit of space where you don't have that um, that ability to stretch teams in the way that we do and when we do, it makes our attacking play the most fluent version of it that it is. I th- Look, we're, we are definitely at our best when we have Gabriel Jesus in the middle. We can kind of do the all-action false nine role. But ultimately, what he's there to do is is vacate space for our two wingers to go and attack the goal, right? And I just mm. think 
as you mentioned, Trossard is a, is a very neat player, likes to come in, um, combine with teammates, prefers the ball to feet. Um, and it just made us a little bit slow because, um, you know, he doesn't have that natural ability to burst past the man or mm. burst in behind. He usually relies on quick movement or, you know, a little one-two to get in behind or maybe shooting from range, which we've, which we've often seen with him. So, you know, it... it <sighs> I think I was I was happier to see Jesus back in the middle, um, but I just think we lose a bit of spark maybe with Trossard wide, and that's not to to say he's been bad for us at all because it's not the case. Um, maybe last night was a a different example. I thought his touch was quite loose to be honest yesterday, and he wasn't quite as involved as I would like him to be. But you know, coming back from injury, that's to be expected. But I just think in terms of what he can give you or us um, and what Martinelli can give us is just, is just naturally quite different. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a slight on him as a player. It's just about Arsenal maybe having to tailor things slightly. Yes. Adapt to the players that you have on the pitch. Um, Mm -hmm. And look, I don't think the left-hand side was quite at its optimum yesterday. We'll, we'll come Mm -hmm. to that, but Arsenal did go ahead. A mistake at the back from Lon was ruthlessly, punished. Saka picked the ball up, played it to Jesus. There was space between the center halves because they were expecting, um, you know, the, the guy, was it, um, the guy who actually scored the goal, wasn't it? Thomason who made that mistake. Yes, it was. Um, and they had sort of split. So they were waiting for the, the, the the ball to go around the back and it gave space for Jesus to go through. Sometimes his finishing can be hit and miss, but this was a brilliant finish into the uh, lower corner of the net. Yeah, yeah. I, I really loved the kind of conviction of the of the overall move. I really enjoyed Saka playing it first time, nice and quickly, not allowing the opposition any time to settle or or recover from the, the error. Um, and yeah, just one touch, two touch and, and bang. Sometimes that's all you need. And I thought he found the corner really nicely, a clean strike. And, you know, I I just feel a lot better with him in the team. You know, I mean, obviously we do because he's an excellent player, but, you know, I just think he gives us something extra. I think especially in Europe, his pedigree is really impressive. Mm. Um, And at this level, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about later, mistakes get punished, you know, and that was a a very clear example of an underhit pass, you know, and and ultimately you don't expect to concede from there, but but we pounced on it and and it was a, a really good start for us considering Len's kind of... Um, came out of the the traps quite quickly early on. Yeah, and there was another chance. You said the word conviction when you come to uh, Gabriel Jesus's finish, and I think that's right. You know, there was real conviction in that strike and precision, obviously, and power and all those things. But maybe some of the other chances that we had in this game, there wasn't quite the same conviction. There was a chance shortly after the goal for Kai Havertz, ball Mm -hmm. over the top from Zinchenko, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's an easy chance by any means because of the the flight of the ball. He's got to watch it all the way. He makes pretty good contact, but maybe more conviction makes it more difficult for the goalkeeper to make a save. Still a good save, though. Um, And I'm not saying that's one that he absolutely should score, but it's one of those where if you apply the word conviction or if you apply some conviction to that finish, um, you know, maybe there's a different outcome there. I think it's one of those, especially when they come over your shoulder, you've got two options, right? You can kind of go for the more controlled side foot finish and look to get the, the strongest contact, but also you're you're relying on a on a incredible placement of the shot to beat the goalkeeper mm. because more often than not, they're hit with a bit more precision, which lacks power. Or you can go for the lace, Right, you can just decide to whack it, and either those can end up in the roof of the net, or they can end up at the corner flag. Mm. Um, and you know, I think he took the the safe option. It's probably the one I would have taken as well. The the little side foot, um, and Samba, Bryce Samba was unfortunately positioned quite well in his goal. I think he got his body behind it and, and made a good save. So, look, maybe the finish wasn't the best, but that kind of movement. Mm. is what I was expecting to see a lot more of in terms of Kai Havertz and what he would be bringing to this team as the left eight. Yeah. So even if the chance didn't go in, I was quite happy to see him A, make the run and B, be found because too often he's been a bit bypassed this year. Um, 
some through his own faults and others you know maybe through teammates not being on the same wavelength adjusting to him and his his new role um but i was glad to at least see more of what i was expecting to see when he came into the team yeah i mean that was kind of his high point in the game though and mm -hmm. i i really think this is a question i'd love to hear Mikel Arteta answer is like, what are you expecting from Kai Havertz in this left mm -hmm. eight role? Like we know Granite Xhaka when he played deep for Arsenal, he, everything went through him. Like he was a guy who took a lot of touches, made a lot of passes. Havertz, uh, you know, or when Xhaka then moved forward a bit, his touches fell, his passes mm -hmm. fell because you're playing in a different part of the pitch and naturally you know, you're not quite on the ball as much uh, when you're that far forward uh, compared to when you're deep, right? But Shaka was very effective last season, got goals, got assists from that position. This sort of repurposing of Havertz as a left eight, uh, I think is an adjustment for him. I think it's an adjustment for the team, but I'd love to know precisely what Arteta is looking for. I think you're right. That movement, those runs to the back post need to be seen a bit more. And we could see perhaps last night that there was a, an awareness of where, where he's going to go. But how do you view what he is doing on the ball as well? Because Havertz played 67 minutes of this game and attempted 19 passes, 90% pass completion rate, which is, you know, tidy but maybe mm -hmm. not with the kind of volume that you would expect for a player in that position. And I think the knock-on effect of that perhaps is someone like Trossard, who is out wide, who we've uh, spoken about not necessarily being that kind of winger, needs somebody to combine with to be more effective. And if you're the left eight and you've only had 19 passes in the game or attempted 19 passes, that does make it a bit more difficult for the guy outside you. Just to put that in perspective... Bakayo Saka, who we'll talk about now in a moment, also attempted 19 passes, but in 33 minutes. So, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's something not quite happening the way it should, it seems. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, and this isn't to, to dig him out, but at what point does it become a problem? Um, I think we knew it was always going to be a tough ask. Um, needing to replace Granite Xhaka after his best season at the club, but also having to work against a lot of prejudice, you know, joining from Chelsea, being redesigned or kind of recreated as a player in a new role after, this, you know, some difficult seasons, primarily as a centre forward in English football. But it really hasn't worked for him or us at all so far. Um, and a growing concern of mine is is just how easily games can pass him by. Um, I said in our, in our new player podcast after he signed is that he gave me a bit of the Sambies, um, in terms of his general lack of intensity or maybe a lack of urgency in his game, which I think we've all seen, but also I think tactically the idea of Havertz as the left eight has been far more appealing than the reality. Mm. Um, and I don't think he progresses the ball quite well enough in terms of his passing, I don't think he moves it quickly enough or with enough conviction. And what made him an interesting prospect, you know, was his movement in behind, arriving late on the end of crosses and cutbacks. You know, he would bring a more natural offensive element to the role that maybe we did see, you know, as well as Xhaka did at times, there were also times when you thought, you know, we can see an upgrade here. Mm. We can see a potential for an upgrade. And we just haven't seen it at all yet. Um, it was always going to take some time, you know, to get him adapted and up to speed, you know, and the penalty at Bournemouth was a lovely moment to get him off the mark. But I just would be lying if I said I, I wasn't a little bit concerned about how it's going because I think changing players is a perfectly natural and normal part of football. But I, I didn't see enough in his game in the first place to see it being a success and nor did I see his time in England being successful enough to justify that kind of price tag. Um, and for me, we're just kind of, you know, we're waiting for something to happen and each game just kind of goes by and passes by mm. without much happening at all. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm I, like you said, I'm not really sure, you know, we've had ideas about what he's supposed to be doing 
but the execution just couldn't be further away from that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it is still early days and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of on board with what you're saying there that I harbor concerns. I think you have to caveat every time you talk about, I want it to work. I want it to be good because I think it's going to, if it does, it's going to be good for Arsenal. Absolutely. But, but so far, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to be a little bit worried about, you know, what he's doing or what he's not doing or how effective he can be in, in certain games. And look, I'm not going back to the chance, but Arteta spoke about being, um, not as ruthless or whatever as we needed to be in the boxes. And if you're 2-0 up, then you know the game takes a different trajectory. You're not 2-0 up. And then we make a mistake of our own at the back. Uh, David mm-hmm. Raya, look, attempted a, a good pass to Takahiro Tomiyasu, but got it wrong. Like, just only a little bit. He got it wrong. And I think people will focus a bit on the error, which is fair enough. Lon still had a lot to do there. They had a lot to do, and what they did, they did extremely well. Uh, the ball coming into Wahi, and then his layoff was was excellent. The finish from Thomason was absolutely superb, like a brilliant goal, uh, to be honest, uh, even if it did stem initially from a mistake by Raya. Yeah, I thought the pass was a little bit casual, to be honest, um, and mm. I know he's he's obviously very assured and and competent in terms of his distribution particularly his long distribution but i just felt in that moment we were starting to suffocate the game a bit and the crowds and we were passing it around and the you know the atmosphere that was so electric and vibrant had started to to quieten down a little bit we were getting on the ball maybe not threatening a huge amount but mm. you know fully in control of the game um and just just a little mistake, just a little bit of casualness in that pass allowed Lons to kind of pounce on it. And like you said, the execution of the of the move of the chance was brilliant. Um but we saw it with our goal. Mistakes get punished, mm. you know, and you have to be at your best all the time. Otherwise that happens, you know. And regardless of where Lons are in Liga in this season, we know they've struggled. This is a very competent team who are incredibly strong at home with good players and you can't give them any kind of sniff because that's what happens. So, look, I don't think it was a glaring error, you know, not like a Ramsdale passing it out to Carlos Alcaraz, for example, against Southampton at home. Mm. But I just thought there was a a slight complacency or casualness to the pass. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes, you know, you, you, from, you know that, from yeah. that point. Yeah, you're kind of, you're re-energizing the crowd again and 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 the game starts to become more even. Yeah, I mean, you know it's not the Premier League when the camera doesn't immediately go to Aaron Ramsdale sitting on the bench. <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, a penny for Aaron Ramsdale's thoughts here. You know, he played very well in the EFL Cup game. He has lost his place uh, as Arsenal's number one and I think James made, you know, a good observation that if you want to have two good goalkeepers, you've got to play two good goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. You can't just play one goalkeeper and say, well, we've got competition. You don't have competition um, if only one guy is playing all the time. And right now it's not an issue. Right now it's not a problem. If David Raya gets injured tomorrow, we've got a brilliant goalkeeper, a very good goalkeeper in Aaron Ramsdale to come in. But how long can that situation go on? How long can you maintain a scenario where you've got one goalkeeper playing all the time, one goalkeeper who has been ruthlessly replaced, you might say, to the point where he's going to start thinking about, well, look, I'm not going to sit here. I want to play football. I want to I want to be a first-team regular somewhere. I'm good enough to be a first-team regular at a lot of Premier League football clubs and beyond. So let's sort this fucking shit out. So, you know, is there a need for Arteta to... Look, I know we're very still in early days in this sort of two-goalkeeper scenario, but it looks like it's going down one particular path. Is this something he has to be really mindful of, particularly, you know, on a night where... Raya made a mistake, as we've said, and that can happen. Every player makes mistakes and it's part and parcel of football and all the rest of it. You know, the 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 
the decision then is like, well, do you give the goalkeeper confidence by keeping him in the team or do you take him out of the team because he's made a mistake? And does that then diminish his confidence? And Ramsdale, to be fair, lost his place this season without doing anything wrong. Arsenal Mm -hmm. were unbeaten at the point where, where Raya came in. So it is a really complex situation for the manager to to contend with. I'm not saying it's a problem he didn't need to have, but it's certainly developing into a situation that he has to be very mindful of. Agreed. I think ultimately this is a good situation for the club to be managing, you know, to have two really strong, impressive goalkeepers with with experience is 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 no bad thing. But you've also seen already in the relatively short time of Raya being at the club of, you know, why this is not a common situation. Mm. Because goalkeepers more often than not have a very clear hierarchy. Um, and like you said, Ramsdale, maybe there were a couple of dips towards the end of last season, but I don't think he did enough, you know, personally to be dropped right away Mm -hmm. or at the first chance of asking, you know, after the international break, um, and whether there's something, you know, in terms of the, the playing style that, that we don't know, um, maybe Arteta lost a bit of trust in Ramsdale who, maybe lost a bit of trust in himself. I think mm. his distribution definitely flagged a bit towards the end of last season and maybe he considers Raya superior in that aspect. But, you know, you absolutely do have to be mindful of that because you can't claim it's competition and then just not play the, the other guy. You know, you have to be mindful of that. And I think particularly in these Champions League games, it was incredibly harsh to keep Ramsdale out. Um but also I understand the need for Raya to come in and become more familiar with his defence. You know, it's it's such a difficult one to balance, genuinely. And I think maybe it's placed an unnecessary spotlight on the position or created a narrative that maybe didn't need to be created. But also they won't be thinking about it like that. Arteta will just be thinking about playing his best eleven or who he feels more comfortable with. Mm. So, you know, whether it's going to be here's a glaring error, you're back in and then waiting for another error and then you're back in. Or if there is a genuine desire for Arteta to choose his goalkeepers based on what's happening at that moment in terms of opposition, form, mm. you know, things like that. But it's 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 a difficult one. Um, but Arteta wanted it, so he's going to have to manage it. Yeah. You know? I and mean, I, I know some people will say there's no room for sentiment that you, you know, but he's so much of what he's built has been built on sentiment, mm-hmm. on sort of this um, connection with the fans, imploring the fans to get behind the team. And, and you know, the fans have done that. And with that comes a measure of sentiment and familiarity and connection with not just the team, but individual players as well. So it is one of those where, you know, we, we've talked about maybe in terms of contract situations and contract renewals and things like that, that this feel-good factor that has been created has really helped us secure the futures of Saliba and Saka and Martinelli and all that kind of stuff, and Ramsdale. Mm -hmm. But maybe if you're an Arsenal player now, you're thinking, you know, I could sign a new deal, and then six weeks later, they bring in somebody else, and I'm, you know, it's it's a fine line, isn't it? It is, and especially when... You know, you know that groups of of players become friends in the dressing room, and you know it's natural for players to be unhappy with other players' situations. You know, mm. we've all played Football Manager. <laughs> what happens when you sell someone uh, that's you know a fan favorite at the club, and the players come in to complain? You know, it's perfectly normal. Yeah. Um. So we'll have to see. I think Arsenal have been very good at positioning themselves in terms of contracts. You know for for the club they are always thinking about the club so whatever happens with player situations more often than not they are in a good contractual situation for the club to be in the best position you know so ultimately that doesn't worry me but i also am aware that this can cause issues so it's something that he has to to be very careful of you know and you know i don't think raya has been perfect i will say that i think there were a couple of excellent performances but also there's been a couple in the last few weeks that haven't been amazing. Mm. So it's just what that threshold is about what 
can justify a goalkeeping change at what can't, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll begin to to learn as the season goes on. All right. Well, the next big issue, of course, is the fact that Bakayo Saka sat down on the pitch. Uh, they showed some footage of him coming over to the touchline, gesturing at maybe his hamstring or his calf or something like that. He sits down and ultimately he has to be replaced by Fabio Vieira. This is a situation, I think, that everybody watching, every Arsenal fan went, oh, Jesus, why did you start him in this game? Why why would you take the risk, particularly with Manchester City coming up at the weekend? And I, like, I, I get that completely. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here just a little bit uh, because, you know, I would have been happy enough to see Bukayo Saka sit out this game. I... I'm not a physio, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical guy, I don't have the same information that they do, but I do wonder if when a player has limped off in his last couple of games, having been kicked around, having taken what the manager called a big knock against Bournemouth, but two days later, he's perfectly fine, is what he said. You know, those things, even if they're not sufficient to keep you out of a game, might... um cause another injury somewhere because you're overcompensating a little bit. You know, you're sore somewhere else Mm -hmm. and something manifests itself in injury terms. But to play devil's advocate, right? I'm looking at Bakayo Saka, who's averaging a goal contribution every single game so far this season. This is a tight game against a good side. And he is a guy who can make a difference. He's a guy who can give you something out of nothing. So if you're a manager... I understand why you want him on the pitch. And I also think that was maybe evident in the drop-off we got when Saka went off and Fabio Vieira came on. This is not 100% fit, Bakayo Saka. And Fabio Vieira really struggled to get into the game from the right-hand side. He's been good this season, but mostly when playing uh, inside, in the in the center rather than, than out wide, right? So if you're Mikel Arteta, you're going, well, what's my option here? What's Fabio Vieira? You know, I, I get the desire to have Bakayo Saka on the pitch. I get that the player himself wants to play. But in particular, with this weekend's game in mind, was this an error of judgment from Mikel Arteta? Should he have been a bit more cautious and lent into the squad depth for this particular game? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to to kind of say otherwise. I mean, obviously we have to caveat this with the usual we are nowhere near as informed as the club or as the manager on injuries you know they have the data they will have put him through tests um, and I absolutely subscribe to what Arteta continues to stress about the best players that they need to be able to play every few days in different competitions and mm-hmm. be able to meet their standards consistently that's fine totally understand that but <laughs> it, it does feel like we have been tempting fate just a little bit with Saka, especially since the international break. Um, you know, he's played 615 minutes this season, the fourth most in the squad behind Ben White, William Saliba and Martin Odegaard. But like you said, after taking a significant knock against Spurs, which left him at right back and basically unable to move for the last 20 minutes before he was taken off, and then starting at Bournemouth, playing 76 minutes, and then starting again three days later against Lons, despite Arteta admitting that he suffered a big knock, like you said, this this just felt avoidable, mm. especially with, with Manchester City to come on, on Sunday. You know, and for all we know, come Sunday, he'll be starting the game. You know, and every time he goes down, there is this kind of mystery about how long he will or could be out for. And then he's there again on the team sheet an hour mm. before kickoff. But just maybe this game could have used a bit of, you know, forward thinking. Yeah. Um, that, like you could pragmatism. Start, yeah. You start with somebody else. And if you need Bakayo Saka, like if you absolutely need Bakayo Saka, by all means, you can put him on in this game. Yeah. And look, I, I, I'm sort of, I think because we view Saka as something so precious because he is, mm-hmm. because he's so good and and because of the place he has in our hearts and, and all the rest of it, you know, 
you want your best players to play and the best players play all the games. And we had this discussion and I think he's just one of those guys who, because of the talent, because of the quality, because of the end product, whether it's Mikel Arteta or any other manager, they are going to start Bakayo Saka as much as they possibly can because, mm-hmm. let's face it, he's one of the best players in Europe at this moment in time. But, you know, it, it, it felt like something that has been in the post for a little while with him. They keep talking about the, it's his 87th consecutive start or 87th, you know, and it's like, at some point, maybe something's got to give in that regard. And if that's, you know, staying on the bench for the first hour of a European game, maybe that's kind of what you have to do to manage your squad and to manage a player like him. So that comes Sunday, he's not in uh, serious doubt as I think he is because it's whatever about getting a kick right that's sore mm-hmm. and a kick can be sore but you put some ice on it and you get a bruise and you can you can play through that what this appears to be is a, a muscular problem whether it's a hamstring whether it's a, a calf or whatever it is it, it it appears to be that and again we can't say for sure but when a player does pick up a muscular injury it's normally two to three weeks yeah and <sighs> The thing is, a lot of people have used this example to kind of put the ability to rotate or Arteta's ability to rotate under pressure, which I think is valid. But in this unique circumstance, I don't think the issue was rotation. I think it was an accumulation of problems, of injuries, of small knocks that maybe could have just done without starting this game. Mm. You know, and I think since he broke through, um, I think since his first team debut, only two players under the age of 22 have played more minutes than him, who are Jude Bellingham and Pedri. So mm. maybe there just needs to be a an awareness in the in the grand scheme of things, um, just to manage him a little bit better, you know. And I, I, I it's what you said. I don't think anybody was shocked to see him go down. I mean, I wasn't. Mm. you know and muscle injuries can be tricky so i'm i'm hoping that it's not what we think it is and that it might just be a another knock another issue but it just it does feel like at times we are kicking the can down the road with him yeah um and just hoping that each game he kind of can shake off whatever he picks up because we need him um yeah but yeah it would be a huge blow to to have him out on sunday especially with us not knowing about Martinelli, you know, and already mm. managing a couple of other injuries in the squad. Well, we'll talk about that a bit later in the in the week. We'll we'll preview uh, the Man City game, of course, as we do on Patreon. And I think there is a discussion to be had about Saka. Hopefully, um, you know, we might get some good news later in the week. But there's also the fact that the interlaw coming up after the Man City game may well have an impact on the decision that Arsenal can make. You mm-hmm. know, if you if you deem him fit for Man City and maybe he's not and then he goes away with England you know is this the point where you need to protect him but that's something we can talk about a bit more we'll keep fingers crossed obviously that he he can um, be in contention but we'll talk about a bit more later in the week where hopefully we'll have a, a little bit more information the second half started Narsal had a very big chance conviction not there from Trossard in that yes. moment set up by Kai Havertz in fairness talked about him a bit earlier but but we won the ball high up the pitch Havertz took it on played it to Trossard who cut back in uh, inside and the finish just not quite where it needed to be yeah I don't think he hit it quite cleanly enough um, I, I, I will say I thought Bryce Samba was excellent in goal um, you know I don't think he had to make any incredible saves but what he did have to do he did it very securely um, you know and that was a chance you are probably thinking that has to go in maybe from one of our more impressive finishers. You know, he has good ball striking ability. There was space after mm. cutting inside. Um, but yeah, maybe didn't catch it so cleanly and Samba, you know, spread himself well. I mean, what what did you think about the second half in general, about our lack of threat? I, I think it's quite amazing that we're in October and we're yet to see our first choice front line play together. Yeah. I mean that's you know? that certainly had an impact. Yeah. I I also think um that Lons were were good 
I thought Absolutely. they were thought they were a good team. I saw some people sort of dismiss them as like the fifteenth best team in France, which is nonsense. You know, they finished second last season, a point behind PSG, and that is the team that we played last night. And you know, the fact that they've had a bad start to the season doesn't alter the fact they're a much better team than the league table suggests. So to say they're only as good as where they are in the league table after six or seven games is is nonsense. I thought they were good, technically very good, very assured well-organized, well-drilled. I thought they played with a physicality that we weren't quite comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every tackle, every 50-50, every duel, there was just a little bit left on the Arsenal players. And sometimes we dealt with it pretty well. Other times, not so much. I can think of one example in the in the second half where they pressed very high, they pressed in a coordinated way, and we did very well um, to play it out from the back, came to Declan Rice out on the sort of right side of midfield. He played it to Fabio Vieira, who immediately gave it away. And I'm not saying that Vieira wasn't comfortable with the physical aspect of, of the opposition, but I think they, uh, in tandem with the crowd and the atmosphere and all the rest of it, rose to the occasion in a, in a fairly big way. And we just weren't able to to cope with that. Yeah, this gave me, sorry, this gave me playing Everton at Goodison Park for Sean Dyche's first game kind of vibes, (laughs) you know, where we caught them at the wrong moment or their right moment, you know, for their first home Champions League fixture in 21 years. Um, But they're much better than Everton. uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you know, they utilised the wings very well. Um, we, and we never really adjusted, particularly down our left, um, you know, and even when they needed to settle into a five man defense, when they scored, they made it really difficult for us. I mean, what made the difference, like you said, for me was their, was their physicality, especially from their spine. Um, you know, I'm afraid to say they, they won their duels. Um, I was really impressed with Kevin Danso, yes. um, formerly, formerly of Southampton, who was excellent at the back. He marshaled Gabriel Jesus really well. Um, you know, Ab- uh, Salis Abdul Samid in, in the middle was really strong. And at either end of the pitch, they had Samba and El Yawahi, who, you know, proved himself a handful. So, mm. I mean, look, playing away from home in Europe is always difficult. And it does seem to be something that Arteta hasn't quite cracked yet for whatever reason, whether they are isolated isolated incidents, too much rotation, not enough rotation, if it's more tactical, us not knowing how to manage the games, I'm not sure yet, but we have four wins in our last nine away games in Europe. Mm. You know, uh, we've beaten Zurich, Bodo Glimt, Slavia Prague and Olympiakos, but we've also lost against Villarreal, PSV and now Lons. Mm which is very strange considering how good our domestic away form has been in the, in the league. You know, I think we've been very impressive away from home, you know, and as good as Lons were at the end, I think they, you know, created two really good chances and scored them both. And Arsenal maybe did create enough to come out of this game with something, but also the margins again, were just really fine. Mm. Um, and I think we looked a bit slow and clunky, again, struggling to find any fluency or clicking an attacking sense. You know, I don't think I can complain with the defeat because um, I don't think we were convincing enough in possession. I don't think we made it. I think we made it very difficult to sustain any meaningful pressure and not just the dreaded horseshoe, you know, and our mistakes were punished to the maximum. So. Mm. It's a difficult one to analyze because I thought it was a mixture of things um, which contributed to the defeat. Yeah. But it was also below our usual standards. Well, let's talk about their goal, the winning goal. Uh, They Mm -hmm. got down the right-hand side. Sinchenko drawn in when maybe he should have dropped off. The cross comes in. And look, I thought William Saliba was brilliant yesterday. On the ball, fantastic. Mm -hmm. When they put pressure on him, he just dealt with it the whole time, but he didn't just uh, took his eye off uh, El Yawahi for, uh, for a split second. He paused. I think the finish is excellent. Again, the movement's really good. Yeah. He kind of holds his run. Um, and I think that's what lost Saliba. Um, but yeah, first time finish right into the corner. They, 
Yeah. They finished both brilliantly, yeah. I have to say. I mean, before yeah. that, there was a, a chance for Tommy Asu from a corner where I think mm-hmm. it hit the keeper more than the keeper made a good save. And I don't know that he could have done a great deal more with that Tommy Asu in terms of, you know, his arrival. He timed his run perfectly, caught it right on the, the half volley or volley, whatever really you call it. Yeah, really, really, really good. Clean. It was, and with his left foot, I was just looking at it. It happened so fast. I was like, oh, that has to mm-hmm. be Vieira. Um, turns, turns out it was Tommy Asu. There's a moment where it could have been 2-1 Arsenal. Within a couple of minutes, it's 2-1 to, uh, 2-1 to Lawns. And then they sit back. And, you know, we've talked about this from an Arsenal perspective, haven't we? We go ahead and then all of a sudden you sit down uh, or sit back in a low block and the momentum of the game changes. I have to say, you know, before we get into what we did or didn't do in that period of the game, I thought Declan Rice was absolutely fantastic for Arsenal Mm -hmm. last night. The way he took responsibility, the way he tried to drive the team forward, he seemed to be everywhere. You can ask why perhaps so much was going through Declan Rice and not maybe more creative players like Martin Odegaard or or Fabio Vieira even who moved more central when we made some changes. Uh, but I thought Rice was was excellent. But they sat and they said, okay, come break us down. Come and break us down. And we mm-hmm. didn't quite have enough, even if there were a couple of moments. I thought Smith Rowe promising again from the bench had a couple of shots yep. one where he, he forced a keeper into a very good save reese nelson kind of unlucky but also great defending you have to say from the opposition if we were extolling the virtues of jakob kivior's arse in the efl cup game <laughs> against brentford this was similarly committed defending from uh, whoever it was at the back from them i can't remember who it was but you know there were moments where perhaps we could have nicked that draw but didn't quite have enough to to really start hammering. Like sometimes you play against a team where they sit like that and you, you've, you're fucking hammering the door and you're hammering the door and eventually you find your way through. This was more of a, you know, polite ding dong and we didn't quite get uh, anywhere near enough pressure on them to, to get something out of the game. Yeah, they were very organized throughout, very committed, like you said, we didn't trouble them too much, but when we did, they were well up to whatever we had to throw at them. Blocks, good saves, you know, especially when they kind of dropped into a back five, they gave us no space out wide. So everything had to go through the middle. Agree completely about Smith Rowe. I just think he gives us an injection of, of mm. speed and urgency. Um, so, you know, he, he, he kind of came out of the game with... With a little bit of credit in the bank, I thought Reese Nelson was unfortunately quite poor. Um, maybe people would have looked to him to come on for Saka, but there were a few times where he ran the ball out of play and kind of got lost in a in a corner and a cul-de-sac on the left. And, you know, there just wasn't enough collectively as a team, but also individually, I, I think too many players were just off their game, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think I would have preferred, I, I agree with you about Nelson where he ran the ball out a couple of times and it didn't quite happen for him, but I do think I would have preferred to see him come on for Saka than Vieira. Agreed. Because I, you know, I, I see what the manager's doing. It's a left-footed player and blah, blah, blah. But I think Vieira has operated best in central positions for us so far this season. I think games he can get a bit lost out on that right-hand side where he doesn't have the physicality of Saka to play in the way that we need a right winger to play. So I think Nelson, even if it changes the sort of balance of that, that, uh, that side of the pitch a little bit, I think he's a more natural uh, replacement for Bakayo Saka. So look, ultimately our first defeat of the season, it's away from home. I do think you have to give the opposition credit. I think you can take apart our performance and say that aspects of it weren't good enough. You also have to say that the opposition were, were good on the night and were effective and played a smart game of football against us. So there are lessons there for Mikel Arteta to learn ahead of our, our next European game, which of course is away again at, at Sevilla. Yeah, I mean, look, they're struggling in the league as well, but you can see on these kind of nights when the fans are up for it, the players are up for it, it's very difficult to win away from home in Europe. Um, And Sevilla is not an easy place to go. They have extremely impressive European pedigree, maybe not in the Champions League, but they've been in high-pressure situations. They know how to win games. Mm. Um, And I, I just feel that Arsenal at the moment, are a little bit one-paced. 
slightly predictable in an attacking sense and maybe not creating as much in terms of volume as we'd hope. But maybe that can that can be kick-started and changed on Sunday. So we have to see. We are managing injuries. We're managing, um, you know, circumstances beyond our control that maybe have caused us to be um, a different team than we'd like to be. Okay, mm. and I, and I completely get that. But ultimately, your standards drop even a little bit in Europe, and that's what happens. So yeah. let's see what happens. L- Lons deserve credit absolutely, but. This is a performance that I think we'll have to to chalk off and kind of be glad that PSV and Sevilla yeah. managed to draw yesterday because yeah. it, it leaves us in a bit of control. That was good for us, actually. A very late goal from uh, PSV to equalize. Some good goals in that game, actually. Crazy game. Yeah. End to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, good to see Sergio Ramos still to- giving away penalties. Oh yeah, you know some some things change, some things never do. Um, you know, even Casemiro was doing the same for United as well, which was well, very funny. But we'll get onto that. But yeah, PSV um, did us a big favor. You know, it was it was an, an incredible last ten minutes. Mm. You know, because they PSV equalized in the eighty sixth minute, and then straight from kickoff, Sevilla went up the other end and scored in Great the seventh minute. What a header! Great header from from Nassiri, uh, Yusuf and Nasiri to go ahead. And then they they hit the post, Sevilla, <laughs> which would have put them 3-1 up. And then PSV went up the other end in the 95th minute to score the equaliser. So, yeah. Gazprom football, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, inject it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a it was an extraordinary night in in many ways across Europe. Some incredible uh, games and individual performances. I think it's incumbent on us as Arsenal fans, to be able to compartmentalize our disappointment and frustration with an Arsenal defeat, which we have discussed at length, but at the same time, enjoy what happened at Old Trafford and what happened to Manchester United. Because, I mean, this was a fucking wild game. I was watching the the highlights of it this morning. Absolutely wild in terms of incident and goals and all the rest of it. Rasmus Hoyland... He looks a player. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He, he was on fire yesterday. Two brilliant goals and one disallowed. Yeah. He yeah. he he is a handful. He is absolutely a handful. Um, you know, and it's natural for people to kind of raise their eyebrows at at the price they ended up spending on him. I think it was 70 72 million pounds, 73 million pounds, something in that ballpark. Um, but ultimately the striker market is so bare. So you kind of need to take a gamble on somebody eventually. And I think he has tools, um, especially physical tools, to thrive in English football. He's quick as well. Um, you know, he's big and, and you could, quick, you know. You could see he's got a, a touch of the Harlands about him, elbows, long strides, a bit of pace. And I think he was basically the only good thing about Manchester United yesterday who were <laughs> otherwise <laughs> miserable. Yeah, Miserable. I mean the the I mean the moments where um Rashford is through on goal and he decides to square oh. it for for Bruno Fernandez. I mean you're, you're shoot score, you know, that's the perfect mm-hmm. position. Like if you're a striker or if you're a forward, that is the position that you dream to be in if you've got his pace, great ball through catch them on the hop and you're through on goal and you know he was looking for looking for a pass which was ultimately cut out um Casemiro sent off uh, Galatasaray <laughs> missed a penalty and let's not forget that that Wilf Zaha scored a goal as well yeah. uh, which was very funny I enjoyed his celebration as well to sort of cup the ears and have a good laugh at it all um, that was great um, that was enjoyable yeah, just even Onana as well at, at fault it was well, like yeah. a double whammy that the poor pass out and then Casemiro's, you know, panicking to get to get back and it's just it's brilliant. I don't know what's happened, but you know, even the winner, even the Akadi winner, what is he? Do- what is what is Onana doing there? He like falls down. Oh, do you have to just stand up and like yeah? It just and the defending it. from from Varane and and Lindelof is so bad. All it took was one header, a clearing header from Davinson Sanchez to put Icardi through on goal. Mm. What what the hell? Like, this just very funny. hilariously. But you know they've lost more Champions League games at Old Trafford in their last fourteen games than they did in their previous eighty. 
They've lost seven of the last 14 compared to six of their previous 80. I mean, they're, they're on a terrible run. There's no two ways about that. But, you know, the I was watching, did you see the, the highlights uh, with James Horncastle, um, the TNT yes, sports uh, TNT, ones. yeah. And he's sort of saying, well, hang on, you know, Onan has been terrible. There's no question. He was awful last night. But, you know, these are guys who are high-level players are coming to Manchester United and it's it's kind of all going wrong for them. Like, blame the Glazers all you want, but you've got to start looking at Eric Ten Hag and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe don't continue to play Sofi and Amrabat at left-back Yeah, when he is a central midfielder, you know? It's just, it's just funny because it feels like no matter what they do at the moment, mm. you know, there was even a shot that Mason Mount had that was going in and... Hannibal Mabry blocked it off the line and then Garnacho could have scored at the end and it was an incredible block to deny him. And it's just like, yeah, yeah I feel like every every game or every highlight reel should just be played with Benny Hill music at the back. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just everything that could go wrong is going wrong. And long um, may that continue. Absolutely, absolutely. Long may that continue. Another extraordinary game um, in Napoli, Napoli 2, Real Madrid 3. Jude Bellingham, I mean, he's playing all the minutes, but he's scoring all the goals and making all the contributions, a goal and an assist in this game. He's just such a fun player to watch, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen a young player with such main character energy before. Um, You know, he just, whatever Real Madrid represent and the pressure that comes with it, he's just got it. Mm. Um, You know, that's nine games now. And he's already got eight goals and three assists. Unreal. And he's a he's a he's a box to box midfielder. You know, yeah. It's just it's just ridiculous. I mean, I, the the goal that he scored, Napoli will watch that and and I'd admit they could have defended better. But also, he's just waltzed through the defense. Is that not I, the sort of um, is that not the sort of goal that a player with the growing presence that he has scores because the opposition look up and say, Oh, it's Bellingham. Like if they look yeah, up and they maybe. say it's Kai Havertz, no disrespect to Kai, the defending might be a little bit different. Maybe you're more front footed with your defending when it's Bellingham. You're mm-hmm. like, Oh fuck this guy could hurt us. Yeah. And the finish is so good. He, he, he gets like a kind of knuckleball effect on it, but mm. you know, he's just an outstanding player. Um, and he's already one of the best midfielders in the world. So I'm, I'm scared to think about what's going to happen in the next two to three years. But, you know, talking of finishes, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm pretty sure the goal is still shaking from Valverde. Valverde shot. I mean, I feel a little bit for the goalkeeper because it, it did take a deflection. And I think yes. that, I'm not sure he was getting near it anywhere or anyway, but... The deflection made sure, absolutely sure, that he wasn't getting anywhere near it. It cracked off the crossbar and, and hit him and went in. So it's a shame things like that have to go down as, as own goals. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as we enjoy the Emmy Martinez own goal last season, you know, <laughs> Jorginho might think, oh, you know, I wish that was my goal. Valverde will be thinking exactly the same here. I mean, he absolutely leathered that. He's got it in his locker. He's already scored a few screamers for Real Madrid, but... Honestly, watching that in real time, it's one of those goals that you just, you have to physically say something like, mm. Ooh. yeah, um, because it, in real time, it just looked incredible. You know, that could have bent the space time continuum, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, it was just amazing. And it, Real Madrid just have this incredible capacity to win games in Europe. They've got, they've got some kind of juice. Um and they're just inevitable. Mm. Kind of how City are in the league. Yeah. Um, more often than not, you know, Real Madrid just have that air and aura about them in Europe. That's, you know, incredible. The the fact that they had to score that goal to go ahead again mm-hmm. after what was an absurd decision to award a handball and a penalty to oh. Napoli. I mean, we, we're going to talk about PGMOL now in a second and VAR decisions mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. But... Uh, for the life of me, I just don't comprehend how that could be given as handball. 
You know, there wasn't an appeal. There was, and that you know, they seem to happen a bit more in the Champions League, I think, than they do in in domestic leagues. I don't know what it is, whether there's a different edict or a different threshold. There was one, was it in the Manchester United game a couple of weeks ago? Uh, um, Ericsson, maybe. Maybe Ericsson, oh, yes. you know. Yeah, it was it was Ericsson. Um, um, there were a few that night, actually, but this was just, uh, the ball was, you know, he was in close proximity to both the opponent and the ball. I don't think his hands are in the uh, quote-unquote unnatural position based on what he's trying to do as a defender. And to award that as a penalty was just ridiculous. Uh, we spoke about it on the 30, didn't we? About how yeah. in Europe referees are a little bit more trigger-happy with handballs. But, I mean... It's just a ridiculous decision. And to go and see it again on the screen and to still give it when you can see that there's been about two deflections off his leg. Mm. I mean, what, what what is the point? Genuinely, what is the point to give that? There's no reason to give that as handball. Um, you know, in mm. the end, it didn't matter, but it changed the course of the, of the game at that moment considerably. Yeah, yeah ridiculous. Um, speaking of ridiculous, uh, let's just finish out today with PGMOL releasing the audio from the uh, the incident at, at Spurs. And if anyone hasn't heard it yet, I'm going to just play it here and you can hear what happens. This is the moment where they decide it's check complete. They've drawn the lines and from there things go wrong. Zoom check in. complete, check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Off. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. Wait, wait, wait. 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 On-field decision was offside. Are you, are you happy with this? Yeah. Are you happy with this? Offside decision. Does it go? Yeah. That's, no, that's what it does. What? On-field decision was offside. Are you happy with this Never image? Yes, yeah, it's onside. The image we gave him is onside. Left back. He's played. He's yeah. gone offside. Delay, delay, delay. They're only saying to delay. Only saying to delay. Pardon? Oddly's calling in to say delay the game. To to complete the yeah. decision is also. saying to delay. Oddly's saying to delay. Ollie? Yeah. yeah delay on. the game. To delay the game. Stop the yeah, game. They've restarted Nothing the game. The yeah, they've restarted. Yeah. Can't do anything. No. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't do it. I mean. <sighs> that it, is just. It's. Inexcusable. I mean, I didn't buy the explanation at the time. But yeah. because I didn't believe anyone could be that incompetent. But it's just extraordinary listening to that, isn't it? Well, first of all, how can anybody hear anything? It's like joining a pro club's lobby. Yeah. You know, everyone's just shouting. You have the microphone blur and, and you know people talking over each other and you get used to that though i mean that's a sort of being a tv presenter and trying to present you've got uh you know the producer in your ear and all that kind of stuff i i do know what you're saying it does sound like a a video game lobby it, where everyone's it's just, just so around. unorganized and also they were just so fast to want to to get the decision done and dusted and it's like what is the point of you know football is a low scoring game right and they're doing their best to disallow goals at the best of time but um, they, uh, the, the sheer the panic yeah. of the replay operator when he's like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" It's a re yeah, the that's the replay the operator. The field decision was offside. Are you, are you happy with this? And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Yeah. And he's like, "Are you happy with this?" And he said, "Offside goal." Yeah. And he's like, "That's wrong. <laughs> it's, it's wrong. It's just." I mean, how how I just cannot get my head around. I mean, maybe it's the language use, right? So rather than check complete, it should be goal good. Goal stands. You know, I, I think they will have to uh, look very closely at the communication of this. But mm -hmm. the fact that he, the fact that he's looking at that footage and looking at the TV, like, how do you not know that the offside is the on-field decision? But, but it's like, what are they watching? What game are they watching? Can they not see that that um, the, it's been given as a free kick? They're watching home and away. Gee, they, they've got two screens up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's honestly scandalous it's inexcusable mm -hmm. how how can they ever justify putting those officials in a in a var room again don't think they can i don't think they can i mean it's it's just the very basics of the job that that, that aren't yeah. being done I, I don't know where we i mean i don't know where it's going to go from here i don't think liverpool 
you know, for all their talk of, what did they say? Escalation and resolution. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's language to sort of force the PGMOL to take a long, hard look at themselves, release the audio. You know, perhaps that's language that's designed more for or to, you know, let their own fans know how unhappy they are with it. But it can't you can't sort of go down the road of, of replays and, and things like that. So the only solution is for standards to improve. The question is if they're capable of making mistakes of this magnitude, of this simplicity, then I don't know how anyone can have any faith that it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, PGMOL have have said that, you know, there's been three key learnings and, and that was, you know, VAR has always emphasized the need for efficiency, but never at the expense of accuracy. Um, this principle will clearly, will be clearly reiterated you know, so they're going to maybe don't rush everything in 0.5 tenths of a second and just make the right decision. But also they say that communication protocols will be developed to enhance the clarity of communication between the referee and the VAR team. But also there's an additional step being added to the process now where VAR will confirm the outcome of the VAR check process with a VAR before confirming the final decision to the on-field officials. So there's going to be like an added layer of, you know, well, it's this just, is the right decision. Yeah, it's just the, the the VAR is going to turn to his assistant VAR and say, is that the right decision? Are you happy with that yeah. decision? Yeah. But how we've we've even got here, um, what is, it's been, what, two years since it came in? More than More that? More than that, I think, yeah. You know, how we are still ironing out creases of this technology and this process is just, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Well, um, and they have lost trust in, uh, you know, in us as watchers and viewers and fans, but also of the clubs. I'm sure there will be enhanced pressure between themselves as an organization. Where do we go from here? Your guess is as good as mine, to be honest. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, they will be hoping for an. Uh, event-free weekend. I think a pretty quiet weekend in terms of officiating, but if we know anything about the Premier League, it's going to serve us up a fucking dose of Barclays like no other because when stuff like this is in the spotlight, other stuff happens. So, yeah. What we, could go wrong? What there's, could there's not go like wrong. there's any big fixtures. No. Um, you know, Arsenal, Man City, you know, just the, the usual Super Sunday fixture. That's Jesus it. Christ. Okay, well, look, Relax, Phil. It's all good. We've got a few days to get ourselves in order for that one. We better leave it there for now. Phil, thanks a million as always. Uh, Thanks for having me as always. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Right, going to leave it there for now. As I said in the conversation, we will look ahead in more detail and with more information, hopefully, to the Manchester City game, which takes place this Sunday. Will we have Bukayo Saka or not? Who's going to be fit? Who will be ready? We'll find out and discuss it all over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. That'll be around or that'll be available for you on Friday afternoon. If you want to sign up, you can do that. It costs just about a five or a month. You get instant access to everything that we do on Patreon besides preview podcasts. Podcast, the 30 poorly drawn month, ad free podcasts, and lots more besides. Patreon.com forward slash arsebug. For now, folks, take it easy. There's no end bit at the end of this podcast because I'm really pressed for time today and I've got to get this out for you guys to listen to. Apologies for that. Nevertheless, we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.